Elie Wiesel was born in Transylvania, a very small town called Sighet. And his book, Night, which is what we're going to be going over in this episode, is so powerful. And it's such an incredible book. It really gives perspective on the times we're in now. Basically, just an overview of his story. You know, he, at a young age, he was 13 when he was uh, taken in the uh, camps, these these Nazi prison camps, and absolutely terrible. You know, they, they basically had these different prison camps, concentration camps, whatever you'd like to call them, and absolutely wretched. You know, th- this book shines a light on what they did and this first-person perspective of having his father there with him throughout a lot of the journey and then at the very end, you know, having his father die in front of him and watching just the the humanity in people just disappear. You know, he witnessed firsthand so many things, but just one example is, you know, a son and a father fighting, you know, the son basically beating the father for a crumb of bread, the father dying, and then as the son got the little piece of bread, other prison like other prisoners in the concentration camps jumped on him and tackled him and he ended up dying. So it's it's just this insane lack of humanity. And basically what this shows is what happens when people are under insane stress and peril. And this is an absolutely incredible, powerful story by Elie Wiesel. And, you know, just a little overview. So he's actually the author of a, a ton of books, you know, over, I think it's like over 45 books. And uh, he actually was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom and the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. And, and he's just a brilliant, brilliant man. He also has an interesting episode with uh, Oprah Winfrey, actually, on Super Soul. It's like one of her older podcasts, but you can look that up on YouTube. It was interesting. Um, their conversation, they were talking about one of his newer books, and this was uh, closer to 2000, I think this was 2011 when that was recorded, but he's since passed, and he's just such an interesting man. You know, this this book, like I said, just shines a light on things. We talk a lot about the cognitive biases here at the Modern Academy, and it's important to to understand the cognitive biases because they're always at work in your brain. So it's, it's not something where it's like, if you learn them, then use them. No, no, no. They're, even if you don't know them, so, you know, Rumsfeld Matrix is the unknown unknowns are the things that hurt you the most. So if people, if, if the 25 cognitive biases to you are unknown unknowns, that's a huge issue. You know, as Rumsfeld Matrix basically teaches us that, you know, there are known knowns, those things that we know that we know, arithmetic, writing, language, then there are known unknowns. So there's things that we know that we don't know. So for example, quantum physics, if you don't know quantum physics or quantum entanglement, and then, you know, there are unknown knowns and then there are unknown unknowns and the unknown unknowns are the things that hurt us the most. That, that's like our true blind spot. And understanding this and in, in keeping things in perspective, this is why I find it so important to read, to constantly be learning. That's really what we talk about here at the Modern Academy is where you can apply this framework of constant learning, constant, you know, improving your own brain, improving your own skills and adapting based on the environment in which you find yourself, as Richard Dawkins talks about in his book, The Selfish Gene. You know, what makes us so special as humans is our ability to simulate, our ability to simulate 
outcomes without having to learn through overt trial and error. So reading amazing books like these, reading amazing autobiographies. So simulating other people's experiences by reading, not by watching movies, not by, you know, watching a TV show, but actual firsthand autobiography experiences and simulating what they went through and not having to learn through overt trial and error. And hopefully when, when you do that, you can adapt based on those mistakes. You know, as Warren Buffett says, we all learn from mistakes, but it's a heck of a lot easier to learn from other people's mistakes. Very, very important to keep this in mind. So again, I highly recommend you pick up this book by Ellie Boisel, and it's uh, Night. And we'll be going over some of the interesting sections here in a minute, but I just want to kind of uh, put a period on this this note about the 25 cognitive biases. The reason I brought that up in the unknown unknowns is, you know, with cognitive biases, these are constantly working on our brains. You know, the reason Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger say they do not go to auctions is because it's the Lollapalooza effect. And the Lollapalooza effect is when you have multiple cognitive biases working against your brain at one time. So if you know a couple of the cognitive biases, just for example, you know, in an auction, you have authority bias. So the guy standing on the stage shouting off numbers, you have scarcity because he's saying going once, going twice. So that's scarcity bias. Then you have uh, commitment consistency. So you decided to go, so you feel the need to act. You have social bias, so all the people around you, and so many other things. So this is why it's important, and, and you also have reciprocity because you, you, they're hosting it. So you feel the need to act. And basically understanding that when you have multiple cognitive biases working against you, you are, you are at a massive disadvantage, especially if you don't understand how they work. So just knowing them gives you a, an upper hand, so knowing that they're at play and trying to analyze them. So a good a good way to practice this is just anytime you see an advertisement, look at it from an objective view, you know, like a third person perspective basically. Don't look at it as, "Oh, how can that benefit me?" Look at it objectively and go, "Okay, what are the cognitive biases that are at play with that advertisement?" You know, if if it's showing people with smiling faces and then a percentage off or a special sale, that's social bias, authority, and scarcity. And understanding these cognitive biases, the reason I brought this up is contrast. And the, the reason that ties in with Knight in books like these, these autobiography books, and the reason it ties in with what I talked about with Richard Dawkins, which is our ability to simulate different experiences that other people went through without having to learn through overt trial and error ourselves. You're able to use a cognitive bias to your advantage, which is always, always good if you have the opportunity to. And cog- contrast bias is um is, is a very powerful one. You know, it's it's usually used in a negative context, especially with social media. We see this, you know, on Instagram, for example, or Facebook, whatever you use, you see pictures of other people and, and it's just capturing a second. And usually it's a, a fabricated second. You know, they're posing, smiling for a picture, or they edited, photoshopped it. And Contrast bias basically tells us that our brain subconsciously basically compares your current self, you know, how you view yourself, to that other thing. So it's the same with a book like this. It's the same on Instagram. So on Instagram, it's working against you. But if, if you read a book like this, it can work for your advantage. You know, it can help bring perspective, um, you know, to your current situation, to where you are in life. And I found this book just absolutely fascinating. You know, in the beginning, they kind of talks a little bit about his childhood and um, 
religions in his area. Again, he grew up in that small town of Transylvania. And, uh, you know, in in that time, they were basically taken from their home in 1944 to the Auschwitz concentration camp. And this is the reason he calls it night is um, he has this interesting poem in there. And it's basically he, he kind of sees it as like this really, really long night. And there's, there's so many good sections in here I could pull out. But uh, I, I think what I'll do is is just share with you some of my key takeaways from this book and, and just some powerful things that, you know, when you look at it, it really brings perspective. You know, a lot of people have this victim mentality and this kind of woe is me during this uh, epidemic. You know, if you're listening to this down the road, we're currently going through this uh, coronavirus. And this is his poem. So he says, never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp that turned my life into one long night, seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the faces of the children whose bloodies, bodies I saw transformed into smoke under a silent sky. Never shall I forget those flames that consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget the nocturnal silence that depraved me for all eternity and the the desire to live. Never shall I forget... Those moments that murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to ashes. Never shall I forget those things, even even where I condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. And that's, you know, these are basically showing these these imprints, you know, in in his brain, these things that really struck a chord with him. And there's like I said, there's so many interesting sections in this book. You know, I could really read this whole thing to you, but uh, I'll just kind of pick out some sections that I highlighted myself. So the context of this was uh, basically they, they, they had to move from Auschwitz concentration camp to another camp because the Russians were coming in. And the um, so, so the German soldiers basically led the group of Jews. Um, he was still with his father at this point, And they had to keep running, just constant, constant running. It was in the snow. So he says, we were the masters of nature, the masters of the world. We transcended everything, death, fatigue, our natural needs. We were stronger than cold and hunger, stronger than the guns and the desire to live, doomed and rootless, nothing but numbers. We were the only men on earth. And this is, you know, this is that um, basically they, they soon after he thought that, you know, they, they were announced that they were going closer to, to, to where they were arrived. And he says, you know, a thick layer of snow was accumulating on our blankets. We were given bread, the usual ration. We threw ourselves on it. Some had the idea of quenching his thirst by eating snow. Soon we were all imitating him. As we were not permitted to bend down, we took our, out our spoons and ate snow off our neighbor's backs. A mouthful of bread and a spoonful of snow. The SS men were watching us, and those were the soldiers, watching us with great amusement by the spectacle. And it's it just really brings perspective. I mean, think about that. You know, a lot of people you see complaining in times like these, the people that really are hurting in in this time of this pandemic are the people that have lost loved ones. The people that you know are the are the um, 
victims of the coronavirus, people that get the coronavirus. And we live in such an amazing time. When you read books like this, it really brings perspective. You know, if you don't complain if, if nothing has happened to you. If, if you're just forced to quarantine, that's the least of your problems. You know, the potential for, for other things to happen in the world, you know, as far as, you know, a war breaking out or a, a major natural disaster, an asteroidal impact, and uh, so many other things are, are pretty likely in our lifetime. You know, a lot of things are going to happen when we fi- we get to the bottom of this, um, you know, what caused this coronavirus, if it was a weaponized virus, anything like that. So this will be the last little section, then we'll wrap this this episode up. Thanks for listening so far. So this is a uh, uh, a man that basically come up came up to uh, Elie Wiesel when his uh, father was insanely sick and basically almost on his deathbed. His father basically couldn't eat, couldn't drink, and uh, was insanely sick. So this man came up, put his his hand on Ellie's uh, shoulder, and he says, Listen to me, kid. Don't forget that you are in a concentration camp. In this place, it is every man for himself. And you cannot think of others, not even your father in this place. There is no such thing as father, brother, or friend. Each of us lives and dies alone. Let me give you some advice. Stop giving your ration of bread and soup to your old father. You cannot help him anymore. You are hurting yourself. In fact, you should be getting his rations. And this is just such a sad, sad quote. You know, it really shows the mentality. And he saw firsthand experience of other people, you know, basically giving up on their fathers, giving up on their families. And, uh, you know, they were separated by genders. They, they were stripped away. He was stripped away from his mother and his sisters right away, basically. Um, and he'd been with his father for the majority of this time. And he saw so many other, you know, firsthand experiences of other people his age basically giving up, abandoning their fathers, or even, you know, kind of killing their fathers. And basically losing, losing sight of humanity. And he was actually able to not give in to this. There, there was glimpses of this. It was kind of this ongoing struggle that he talks about in the in this book, um, where his struggle with religion, his struggle with belief in God, and in for he really gave up on it. And uh, you know, he said, you know, how could God do this to us? Which I think anybody could completely understand. And you know, seeing your family, seeing other people just completely demoralized, having your head shaved, given numbers being treated like dogs, called dogs, beat, you know, starved, all these things, just horrid, horrid, horrid. It really shines a perspective on where we are now. And I, I don't think, you know, anything can really make up for the, the tragedy that happened in those times. And, you know, there's so many, many tragedies in human history. And it's, it's really just a shame. You know, the only thing we can do is help as many people as possible, be as selfless as possible, give to others, and really work on improving the world in a way that these things never happen again. We live in a time where nobody should be starving. You know, these things, these things should not happen again. None of these things. And the people that are in situations really need help. And, and we live, especially if you live in the Western world, you're, you're so blessed. You know, we have all these comforts. And we take them for granted. And I, I hope reading books like these, reading autobiographies, can help you use that contrast bias to your advantage. You know, if you're if you're going through something that you perceive as difficult, 
frame it in that perspective of, you know, what did, the, what did Ellie Wiesel go through? How, how can I use this contrast bias to my advantage? So thank you very much for listening. I highly recommend you guys pick up that book, Night by Ellie Wiesel. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe. And until next time.